After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Baseball America's College Podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk college baseball. Welcome to another edition of Baseball America's College Baseball Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me today is Mike Lanana. And Mike, it is the week of Omaha. We have a College World Series field. We're down to eight teams left. Uh, the eight teams going to Omaha. In case you, uh, you haven't heard, <laughs> the eight teams going to Omaha, we've got Arkansas, we've got Florida, We've got Oregon State, we've got Mississippi State, we've got North Carolina, we've got Texas, Texas Tech, and Washington. Uh, Mike, just how excited are you that that we are finally uh, down to just eight teams left playing? Wait, we're going to Omaha this week. That is, is, is this. That you you me? need to be at the the airport in a couple days. Oh, okay. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, that's telling me that I need to start packing. And also, yes, I am very excited. I look at this field, and I think it's going to be a really, really competitive two weeks out in Nebraska. I think we're going to see a lot of great baseball games, just like we saw in the Super Regionals and Regional Rounds, a lot of excitement, a lot of drama, and I think we're going to get more of it. I'm pumped. I'm pumped and jacked, as our good friend Mike Rooney likes to say. Yeah, um, you mentioned Supers there, and I I think the Supers were, were pretty pumped and jacked as well. So before we get to... Talking about this Omaha field, like let's just look back at this fantastic weekend that was uh, Super Regional play. Six of the Super Regionals went to three games. There were only two sweeps. North Carolina swept Stetson. Oregon State swept Minnesota. Everyone else required a full three games. And some of them, uh, I, I guess three of those game threes, then went to extra innings. And provided with some us with some significant drama on Saturday night no, or Sunday night, excuse me, with um, Cal State Fullerton and Washington playing a, just a back and forth crazy ending game, and Mississippi State and Vanderbilt did the same thing. And in, in those two games, the the road teams, uh, Mississippi State and Washington, uh, pulled out the the wins. And Mike, I mean, just. As you look at, at what Washington did, let's let's just start with Washington. Uh, Joe Demers, Washington's ace, had thrown, I, I, be, I believe it was six perfect innings before Fullerton finally breaks through. He still is holding a lead going into the ninth. And then finally, Fullerton is able to find a way. And, and they get ahead, um, but the, they were, while they were playing at home, they were nominally the road team. So they take a lead in the, the top of the ninth, but they're unable to hold it. Washington sends the game to extra innings, and ultimately the Huskies pulled it out. I mean, just what is it, 
I mean, what do you take from that? That that's, this is Washington's first trip to Omaha. Joe Demers, um, you know, his fantastic game, the comeback. I mean, just what, what do you take from from that night in Fullerton? Yeah, well, Joe Demers was huge throughout the entire Super Regional because he closed the game in that Super Regional for Washington too. And he's obviously he's been huge for that team the entire year through the perfect game earlier in the season, the first in program history. And, you know, he was a huge part of that recruiting class from a couple of years ago, you know, as well as A.J. Graffanino and a couple other guys who are still on the team that they had really high expectations for. And it was a, it was a recruiting class that I know ranked well for us. And, uh, you know, we, we expected Washington at some point to make this sort of jump, maybe not necessarily to Omaha this year, but we did see good things happening in their future. And I look at them and I look at that Super Regional. For me, it was one of the hardest Super Regionals to predict going into the weekend just because you had two really similar teams in terms of how they get it done. You know, they're both very, very scrappy veteran teams, blue-collar teams, and we saw that play out, especially in that final game. You know, for me, I I just think the Huskies – just found something the last few weeks of the season, just went into that extra gear knowing that they were playing for their postseason live. They were sitting outside of the field of 64 with an RPI in the in the 70s at one point, and it didn't look great for them. And then all of a sudden, you know, they get a little bit healthier. They get A.J. Graffinino back. They get William McIver back. And they go on the run, and they nearly win the Pac-12. They're a couple outs away from doing that against Stanford. And I think the thing that stands out most about them is just there's no panic on that roster. It's a very, very confident team. They expect to win. They expect to find ways to win. And why shouldn't they? Because they keep doing it. And it's very similar to me to Mississippi State and kind of the approach that they've had and the confidence that they've shown out there. Yeah, so you mentioned Mississippi State. And and while the drama was playing out in Fullerton, there was also drama unfolding in Nashville. Uh, Mississippi State had taken a, 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 a... kind of sizable lead uh, going into the ninth or the bottom of the ninth. Um, things have run together a little bit. But they they, they <laughs> grabbed a three-run lead. And then Vanderbilt uh, pulls it all the way back, ties the game at six, sends it into extra innings where neither team's able to get much of an upper hand for a while. And then finally, Mississippi State breaks through and they punch their ticket to Omaha. And it, it was an incredible run for Mississippi State over the last month. It, it, the way they've been playing has just been phenomenal. Uh, you know, going back to that final weekend of the regular season, really, when they swept Florida at, in Starkville, and then they, they go out last weekend in, in uh, regionals. They are down to their final out. In, they were about to go 0-2, uh, down to their final out. When Elijah McNamee hits a walk-off home run at Florida State to knock out the Knolls, then they wind up rolling through the loser's bracket, winning the Tallahassee Regional, and then, then they have to go to Nashville for Super Regional, and, and they, they find they just find a way. And I guess that, that's kind of been what Mississippi State has been all year long. They just find a way. And, you know, I, everyone in the SEC, I think, and many people around the country are, are just so – complimentary and, and, and marveling at the job Gary Henderson and that coaching staff has done to keep this team together through everything they've been through. Um, you know, there are so many times this year that that team could have quit and instead they're going to Omaha. And, and this is, this was Mississippi state's third straight super regional appearance. And I, 
I don't think anyone would, would disagree that this is the least talented Mississippi State team in the last three years. Um, you know, in 2016, that, that team was stacked with professional talent. They were, they'd won the SEC. They were like the number seven national seed. And Arizona just got the better of them in Starkville on the way to, to that runner-up finish uh, in the, the World Series. And then last year's team was really, really good as well. Brent Rooker leading the way, and they ran into LSU in Baton Rouge. Again, the national runner-up. So this year, Mississippi State, you know, it, it had been a little shakier. They, they, I mean, they finished, you know, 500 in the SEC for a reason, but they were able to, they've been able to, to find a way this postseason. They just have enough pitching. Um, they have enough belief in that team. Uh, you know, to, Don't forget to, about don't forget about the bananas. I well, I, I guess I'll let you talk about the bananas, Mike. Uh, that that does seem <laughs> to be uh, part of part of your brand. Um, but yeah, I mean they're playing with belief, and I guess the bananas are a part of that. Yeah, well, I, as we usually see this time of year, we got some teams that, especially teams that are you know facing elimination and staring at some really desperate times, they start breaking out some of their kooky mascots and rituals and superstitions, and we've got the rally banana with Mississippi State. It's been a a big thing for them. They've really gone all in with the bananas. I have the utmost respect for their commitment to the rally banana. I think it's it's been clear that they're committed to it. And, uh, you know, I promised on Twitter, I said, hey, listen, if they go to Omaha, I will wear a banana suit out in Omaha. And I'll tell you what, Teddy, I've already done some packing. I already have that thing packed. Uh, I, I'm a man of my word. I'm going to bring it with me. And But, yeah, you know, as you talk about, on a more serious note, as you talk about with Mississippi State, just the run that they went on, it, it's really you have to give a lot of credit to Gary Henderson and a lot of credit to those players for not packing it in. And you look at that Super Regional, too. It's one of those Super Regionals where you wish both teams to get to Omaha because of the way Vanderbilt fought. It was an incredible Super Regional. I think it was the most entertaining of all the Super Regionals for me, for my money. That's where I got the most entertainment value, especially once Vanderbilt started throwing in the Rally Llama as well. And we had that full-on Llama versus Banana battle. But for me, it was it was two great teams going at it, two very hungry teams, two teams that you know we've seen in the past couple of years have more talent, but maybe you know you look at just the heart and the hustle on those two teams, and that really stood out. Yeah, and I, I felt like Auburn and, and Florida, I felt like that was a similar Super Regional too. I mean, what was your takeaway on that one? That one obviously went to full three games. So it was very close as well. Yeah, that was uh, the highlight of, of yesterday's Mondays, um, that that group of Super Regionals, that, that bracket. all Everyone in that bracket needed uh, the full three games. And that was definitely the most dramatic of of Monday's games, and it was the last one. And this is the third year in a row now that Florida has been the last Super Regional playing. Uh, the previous two times, I think that was just a, a factor of weather. Uh, this year it wasn't. It was it was just the way the schedule fell that they were the last one going. And uh, they've they've provided some outstanding drama, uh, you know, the last three years on that Super Regional Monday, and this year. Just no, neither Florida nor Auburn could get much going offensively, and Florida stole a run, flat out stole a run on a straight. Well, it wasn't quite a straight steal of home, uh, but on a yeah, first it was and third, yeah, a first and third play uh, in the fourth inning, 
and Blake Reese winds up swiping home. It was it was fantastic. Nick Horvath at first base played his part in that play uh, brilliantly, taking off for second with a lefty on the mound. So the lefty's watching him. Nick Horvath takes off for second, falls down. Uh, pitcher's confused. Blake Reese takes off for home, slides in. It was not close at the plate particularly. But Auburn manages to tie the game later. It goes to extra innings. Davis Daniel and Michael Byrne both delivered outstanding relief appearances. And then finally, in the 11th inning, Austin Laneworthy gets a fastball middle in. And uh, he knew just what to do with that. And he drives it to left. But Auburn right fielder Stephen Williams has a play on the ball. But the ball like skips off his glove and over the wall. I think it was out anyway. Um he just happened to, to have a play at it. Um, but what a brutal ending for Auburn, first of all. And, and just what a what a crazy, crazy way for, for this Florida team to get back to Omaha for the fourth year in a row. Yeah, I, I still can't get over that. And, you know, your, your heart does break a little bit for Auburn when your season ends that way. And when you were that close, you were right in it. And obviously you had a, you know, a play on the ball there, but... Credit, credit to, to both of those teams for battling. And as we talked about all year, you know, Florida has been the best team in the country in terms of talent, in terms of resume, with everything they've done this year. But the thing about the postseason is sometimes you need that little inch or two of luck as well. We've seen it time and time again how that can play a factor. You need to be good, and you also need to be lucky a little bit. And I think we saw that. Granted, he hit that ball very, very well, but at the same time, a couple inches difference, and that game could still be going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. And you know that that is the postseason. That and, and Jim Schlossnagel, uh, you know TCU's coach, I, I thought said it very well. Um, you know when he tweeted just after that play that that was um, you know just an example of why baseball is both great and evil at the same time that, you know, you have this incredible play, um, you know, you have Florida celebrating the, the celebration. Um, you know, they are absolutely ecstatic to, to have won that game. And at the same time, you can see all the Auburn players, just total disbelief, just an absolute gut punch that that is the way that their season ends, that they were so close to going to Omaha for the first time in more than 20 years. And, uh, to come that close and, and not be able to to get it done is is absolutely heartbreaking. I imagine. Yeah, there there's no question. I've I've seen my fair share of heartbreaking losses, but that definitely ranks up there. Unfortunately, not a not a ranking where you want to rank up there, but it's it's up there. Unfortunately for for the Tigers, but at the same time, you know, you look at this Tigers team, you look at what they have returning next year, you look at the job that that Bush Thompson did this year with that group. I mean, that, there seems like there's a bright future there. So I know it's hard to think about that now for them, I'm sure, but I think they'll be right there again next year. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see. Obviously, Casey Mize moving on to pro ball now is the, the number one pick in the draft, but Tanner Burns really came on uh, in SEC play down the stretch, and uh, you know he's going to be an absolute stud at the front of their rotation for the next couple of years now, and there's plenty of other talent there, and um, you know, obviously, the way Auburn has played the last couple of years has been very impressive. Um, so, yeah, that the the future does seem to be bright there. But let's talk about some bright futures this week for the teams that are still playing. So, Mike, we, we've when we look at this field, 
in Omaha. Two things jump out to me. One, it is all or five of these teams were ranked in the top six uh, of our preseason top 25. Two other teams were ranked in the top 25. Washington is the only interloper into that. Uh, so I guess what I'm getting at here is that these are teams that were expected to be playing at this time of year. And then the the other thing is that they are all from you know power five conferences and you know it's two two big 12 teams, uh, you know three SEC teams, an ACC team and, and two pac 12 teams and it's a lot of blue bloods. And, and I think that when you have Texas, Arkansas and Mississippi State all in the field, I think it's going to make for some great crowds in Omaha. I think the city of Omaha probably loves this this uh, CWS field. Yeah, no, I think it's going to be some rocking atmosphere, but I think there's no question about that. And even though we did end up with all power fives, as you mentioned, you know, for me watching this tournament this year, it was cool to see the, the teams like the, you know, the Tennessee Techs of the world. And, you know, even at, even though they're power five, a team like Duke that historically hasn't, you know, made it to the College World Series since 1961, it was, it was very cool to see some non-traditional powers in the mix as well. But obviously these teams and these Power 5 programs are powerhouses and blue bloods for a reason. I mean, they do things the right way. They build up these programs, and obviously we liked what we saw out of them in the preseason to put five of them in our top six of our poll. And, well, we could pat ourselves on the back a little bit. We were right. We were, we were right about them, and here they are in Omaha. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm quite all right with that. Um, <laughs> five of these teams were, were the teams that – uh, we're in my early eight for Omaha that that you know we released last summer, um, you know. So it, these are the, these are by and large the best teams in the country. They've proven it throughout the season, um, you know, and and they have ridiculous amounts of talent in a lot of cases. So all of that means that this should be a, a couple fun weeks um, of baseball out in Omaha. Let's get. A little more granular here. Let's look at these brackets. Bracket one, starting on Saturday, uh, you have Oregon State taking on North Carolina. I don't know if they've ever played that in Omaha before. I, you know, Mike, do you? I don't do you, think so. No. Okay. I don't think so. I'm no, sure. I don't think they have. I think there's no history there whatsoever. I, I'm sure that that they won't bring up the the two finals that those two teams have played against each other at all. Um, they played two finals against each other. I when? Think, I, like maybe back to back years, about ten years ago, I think. So, <laughs> so you have the familiar foes, the familiar Omaha foes of, of Oregon State and North Carolina in the first game, and then Washington and Mississippi State in the nightcap on Saturday. Um, as we look at this bracket, Mike, what do you? Th- who jumps out as the favorite here? Well, I, I said in our college preview issue way back in February that Oregon State was my national championship pick. And so here they are in Omaha playing their best baseball, looking really, really good right now. And I think I need to stick with the Beavers here. I think I need to stick to my gun and go with the Beavers. I think this is – I like the way North Carolina is playing right now. I think they're red hot. I think they're swinging it really well. I think they're pitching it really well. Obviously, we touched on Mississippi State, and we touched on Washington as well. But the Beavers are potentially, arguably, the most complete team in the country is what they do on both sides of the ball. So I have to lean toward Oregon State as the favorite here. 
Yeah, I, I think I, I agree with that, that Oregon State is the favorite here. Just the way they're playing has been uh, outstanding for the last couple months. Uh, getting Nick Madrigal back in that lineup was big. Uh, you know, really more, I, I think, just from a, you know, a mentality standpoint than anything else. They, they were still hitting the ball pretty well without him, but um, yeah. know, getting getting a guy like that back it is big for everyone just in terms of, how you approach the game, how he approaches the game and, and, and the confidence that you have knowing that he's in the lineup. But it obviously goes a lot beyond him. You know, you got Trevor Larnick, you got Adley Rutschman and, and Caden Grenier and uh, you know, just so many talented players up and down that lineup, so much pitching. Um, I do have some questions about who their third starter is at this point. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I mean, when, when it comes down to it, all of the teams on this side of the bracket, I have questions about third starters uh, or, or the effectiveness of the end of their pitching staff. So, uh, you know, I, I, I do think Oregon State, as the most complete team, makes sense as, as the favorite here. Yeah, no, I mean, you get to watch them and you watch the way they approach hitters, especially just looking at them offensively. It's such a difficult lineup to pitch to. I mean, they grind you down. And they just find ways to score. That's the thing that's so impressive about them is they don't give away at bats. Every single at bat, they're they're gonna spit on breaking balls that are low. They're not gonna chase pitches off the plate. They're gonna make you work. And they're a team that can beat you with the home run. They can beat you with a, a suicide squeeze. They can beat you with the stolen base. And there's so many different ways. And you just look at their lineup, and pretty much I think everybody is hitting above 300. Tons of guys with on-base percentages above 400. And then you mix in the, the defense that they're able to play. They're one of the most athletic, if not the most athletic team in the country and defend at a very, very high level. And obviously the pitching, the pitching staff and how deep that staff is, I mean, it, it's hard not to look at them and think, okay, that's the favorite right there. I mean, they, they've been firing on all cylinders down the stretch. And I think, too, the way their season ended last year, when you go 56 and 6 and you only lose four games in the regular season, the expectation obviously is you're going to go in and you're going to win the whole thing. And last year to lose the way they did to LSD in the semifinals, whether they say it or not, I think that's something that is driving them and is a chip on their shoulders coming into this. And you don't want to make that team angry because they play good enough as is. And if they come in angry, watch out. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that. You know, if we could somehow get a, a Washington Oregon State matchup, uh, the easiest way for that to happen is for them to, uh, you know, play on Monday, either having both won or lost. I think that would be really fun because those are two programs that uh, there's not a whole lot of love lost for them out in the Pacific <laughs> Northwest, um, and, and that'd be just fun as you know, ch- just to see two Pacific Northwest teams match up on the biggest stage um, w- would be a lot of fun. So if anyone, though, is going to, to beat Oregon State, Mike, who, are some play- who is a player that you would pick out um, you know, as, as a player to watch to, to maybe help one of these other three teams you know, propel their way to the finals? Well, for me, I, I think a, a huge key, or the major key, as DJ Khaled might say, is John Luca Galatri for UNC. We've talked about him a lot on the podcast before, but... He's a guy who, he's their ace. They expected him to be their Friday ace this year. And he only made two appearances early in the season before he went down with an injury. He came back the final series of the season, pitched in the ACC tournament, and pitched both in regional and super regional. And what he does, it's not just him 
coming back. It's the effect that he has on the rest of the pitching staff. And you mentioned that a lot of these teams have holes or have question marks about their Sunday starter. And I think by bringing the lottery back and getting him back from injury, I think UNC has one of the better groups on the weekend, one of the better starting units, because you have a guy in Cooper Criswell who really, in John Luca Delatry's absence, took a stranglehold over that Friday night role and became something of a second ace for them and has done a really, really good job. He doesn't do it with pure stuff, but he has great command and is a great competitor and pitched really well against Stetson in that, that opening game in the Super Regional. And then obviously you have Delatry, who's stuff-wise, command-wise, has the whole ace package, pitching as sort of your second ace. And then your Sunday guy is Austin Bergner, who has primetime premium stuff in the mid-90s. Sometimes his command gets away with him from him, and that's always an issue at times if, if that's the case. But he's got the stuff to shut down a team on any given night. So for UNC, I, I think if, if they get through this bracket, and I think it's possible, I, I certainly think they have a very good chance. I think they're the team to beat outside of Oregon State. I think they're going to have to do that with their pitching, and then it continues playing basically like they have down the stretch here and to put something together against a really tough Oregon State pitching staff. Yeah, if it's going to happen for UNC, I think they, they need to win game one. I, I think they need to find a way to do that, uh, put Oregon State on the defensive. I, you know, I know that LSU beat Oregon State two games in a row last year uh, to make the finals, but I wouldn't want to be in that position uh, you know, going into the, the end of um, you know, bracket play. I, I, I would want... I would definitely have wanted to force Oregon State to, to roll through the loser's bracket. So that 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 first game is just absolutely critical um, from my perspective for, for the Tar Heels. I think that Jake Mangum, uh, you know, is, is a he's one of my favorite players to watch in the country. And if Mississippi State is going to make a run at this thing, it's going to involve Jake Mangum getting on base, being a pest, uh, you know, scoring runs. And he is going to, you know, He's such a good defensive outfielder, and obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of ground to cover out there at TD Ameritrade Park. And the way he chases down balls in center field, the way he throws, um, you know, he can really impact a game defensively just as much as he can offensively. And, and Mississippi State Mississippi State is going to need him to do both. You know, both bring the bring the offense at the top of their order and bring the defense if they're going to do anything here in Omaha. And I think it's fantastic that, that he gets to play on this stage. He's such a, a fantastic ambassador for college baseball. And, and just the way that he leads that team is very impressive uh, to me. And, and so I, I just think that whatever Mississippi State accomplishes in Omaha, it's going to start with Jake Mangum. They're going to need some good pitching out of Connor Pilkington and Ethan Small and and Riley Self at the back of the bullpen, and uh, you know some other guys are going to have to step up offensively. But I think that he is su- Mangum is just such a catalyst for this team, and has been for three years. That um, you know again, it, everything has to start with him this week for for Mississippi State. So that was bracket one, uh, Mike. Let's let's look at bracket two. Starting on Sunday, we'll have um, we we have Arkansas playing Texas in game one. And then Florida playing Texas Tech in the nightcap. Now, Florida obviously has been the number one team in the country all year long. Uh, for me, they're the favorites in the whole tournament. They were my preseason national championship pick. I'm going to stick with that. 
I, I, it seems clear to me that they're the favorites on this side. Uh, just with how much talent they have, obviously it starts with College Player of the Year Brady Singer, Jackson Coar in the starting rotation, All American Michael Byrne at the back end. Uh, you know, so many hitters. Jonathan India, um, you know, another All American anchoring the lineup. Florida's hopeful to have JJ Schwartz back this week. That would be a big boost for them, uh, and, and they just have so many other weapons offensively that to me they're the. They're the clear-cut favorites here. But, Mike, how, how do you see uh, bracket two? Yeah, I agree with you. Obviously, they were the national champions last year for a reason. They were number one in our poll pretty much the entire season for a reason. The number one overall seed in this tournament for a reason. And that reason is they're really, really good. They're just a really good team, a really complete ball club. Would not be surprised at all to see them win it again this year. I'm sticking with my Oregon State pick mostly because I just I want to be right. But I, I think that the Gators have as good a chance as anybody. I think there's a clear favorite in this bracket. Obviously, Arkansas is a team that I think has a really good chance as well. They're a team that has been in and around our top five and top ten the entire year and is playing really, really hot right now. But you have to go with the Gators until proven otherwise, I think. Yeah, I mean, the, those two SEC teams are have been so fantastic all year long. And the two Big 12 teams – you know, they've been right there at the top of the Big 12 pretty much all year. Um, you know, Texas making its first trip to Omaha since 2014. And it, it's a group that, um, you know, maybe doesn't have as much talent as other Texas teams it, from the past. But it's a it's a really talented group of its own. Uh, you know, in Texas Tech, third Omaha trip in five years. They were disappointed not to make it a year ago. We talked about how maybe that fuels Oregon State. I think it fuels Texas Tech because they lost a home regional last year. And, and you know that that team was really really good, and, and they wind up not even making it out of Lubbock uh, on the first weekend. Um, you know, so I think they feel like they have unfinished business as well. But if, if anyone's going to up, upset Florida, Mike, uh, if Texas is to do this, what who are we looking at uh, from the Longhorns? Yeah, well, for me, I mean, my player to watch in this bracket is Cody Clement, just because I mean, if you paid attention to all of the college baseball in the last few weeks, you're, you're already watching him. You already have an eye on him just because what he has done for Texas and really just put this team on his back. He has 24 home runs. He seems to pick the, the perfect spots to hit them. And he's just a guy that if you're the Longhorns, you want him up at the plate at any given moment when you need to come back into a game, you need to uh, pick up an insurance run or need to win a game. I mean, he is the guy. He's the, the leader of the club. He's a veteran. He's got a ton of power, and he's had a huge year. And, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. We've, we've talked often about Omaha and the way the ball travels there, and sometimes it's hard to tell exactly how well the ball is going to travel. And so that that is something that is worth watching for all guys, all power hitters on all teams, to see if, you know, the, the style of play and the style of offense some of these teams play is affected by just the, the environment and, and playing in that ballpark. But all things being equal, you look at what Cody Clemens has done, and I think if, if Texas is going to make a deep run in this thing, I think it's got to continue to be with him. I think Texas is probably going to be one of the teams that is least affected by this ballpark, regardless of how it plays, because Dishfalk Field is such a big ballpark already. And, you know, they, they play, um, you know, more of a, 
you know, they, they, they understand how to play in a pitcher's park. That's where they play all of their games, uh, all of their home games, I should say. And, you know, Clemens, his power is legit. And it's going to, you know, if he, if he squares balls up, they're going to fly at TD Ameritrade. Um, but if, they, if Texas is forced to play smaller ball, they're certainly capable of doing that. Um, you know, obviously, Augie Garrido brought, uh, you know, that, that style of baseball to Texas. And, uh, you know, that, that's continued there under David Pierce to a certain extent. Maybe not quite as much, but that's a team that knows how to play small ball if they need to. But, you know, Cody Clemens has, you know, he has been absolutely on fire for since, ah, for the last six weeks, I think. And it's it's really remarkable to watch. I was there in Austin this weekend, and every time he was at bat, you just thought something special was going to happen. And most of the time it did. He he made like three outs all weekend. It was it was unbelievable. Uh, and it'll just be interesting to see how opposing teams handle pitching to him. That was a big you know subject of debate over the weekend. Was you know why is Tennessee Tech bothering to pitch to him at all? Just put him on base. You know give him give him four balls. Put him on base. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how Arkansas handles that uh, in the opener. You know, I, I'm going to be very interested to see how Josh Young, Texas Tech's third baseman, uh, you know, how he plays the in, in Omaha. He's an All-American. He's a sophomore. He's a guy that's going to go very well in the draft next year that he looks like a easy first rounder, top 10, top 15 type talent, a lot of power, just a really smart hitter. And he's been crucial to the Red Raiders' offense all season long. He hits in the heart of their lineup. And him and Grant Little, uh, another sophomore, although he uh, he was draft eligible this year. So, But th- those two guys really form the heart of that, that Texas Tech lineup. And they drive in a lot of runs. And, and, I mean, they're just very tough to pitch to. And, and Josh Young is, you know, I think people are going to be kind of introduced to him a little bit this weekend. And uh, or this the, for the next couple of weeks, however long Texas Tech is in Omaha, and I think people are going to like what they see. And you know, over the next year, you're going to hear an awful lot about Josh Young. Yeah, I mean, I was certainly really impressed watching Texas Tech this weekend and seeing what he was doing, especially in that final game against Duke. He had a great day at the plate, was very balanced and poised at the plate. I love his swing, and yeah, I agree with you. I think he's going to be someone that is going to be. A lot of fun to watch, and someone if, if Texas Tech makes a run, and they're more than capable of doing that. I mean, we've talked about you know them in Texas at the top of the Big Twelve this whole year, and you know have played really tough schedules. They have as good a chance as anybody in that bracket. But if they do make a run, he's definitely more than likely going to be in the middle of it. All right, Mike, we've we've talked about these two these two brackets. I guess we've both kind of said Oregon State and Florida are the favorites. Uh, I guess now it's time to, to to make some picks. Who's your finals, and, and who are you riding with as as your national champion? Well, I'm going to go Oregon State, Florida, and I'm going to go Oregon State, and I think it's going to go the full three games. You know, as much as I want to like have some kind of like off the wall or different finals. Like I think that we are on on track for the Florida Oregon State Finals that a lot of people thought we were on track for a year ago, uh, and we didn't get. But I, I think this year we are going to get it. Although, frankly, I'm not going to be surprised if it doesn't happen again. Strange things happen <laughs> in Omaha. Wait, wait to hedge, wait to hedge on that, Teddy. Uh, but the the pick, the official pick, will be for me is Florida over Oregon State. 
Um, you know, and I think it's two games again. You know, maybe it goes three. I don't know. The, these three-game series are tough to say whether they'll be two or three. So I'll go two. I'll say Florida sweeps Oregon State in the finals. First back-to-back champs since uh, South Carolina did it uh, at the start of this decade. Those picks, we'll see if they're right in a couple weeks, Mike. But I think what we can guarantee the people is two really good weeks of college baseball. Yeah, I, I think without a doubt. I mean, even making those picks, I don't feel as safe making it as I did a year ago, I don't think. I mean, just looking at the, the eight teams that are in it and seeing the way all of them are playing right now, I think any of them really have a realistic chance and a realistic path if things break right for them. So I think it, it's going to go down to the wire. We're going to have a lot of close games. There's going to be more drama. And it's going to be a great showcase for college baseball. And, and more importantly, and it's just going to be fun. I'm just, I know I'm going to enjoy it. I know you're going to enjoy it. It's going to be a few great weeks in Nebraska. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think when we look at this field, it's easy to get excited about it. Uh, you know, there's so much talent there, just both on a team level, when you see teams like Florida and Oregon State and, and the way that, that Mississippi State and, and, and Washington have played down the stretch and, you know, to see Texas get back to this level and to see this Arkansas team that, that we put on the cover of our, uh, you know, college preview issue to see them, you know, kind of fulfill that destiny. That's awesome. And then when you look at it on an individual level, you have guys like Brady Singer and Cody Clemens that are, you know, superstars right now. And, you know, the, the college baseball world is going to get introduced to, to, to Josh Yon and, um, you know, Joe Waynehouse at, at Washington is kind of flown under the radar this year, but he has 19 home runs, which is not easy to do out there. And, um, you know, there are just so many, so many guys like that. Michael Bush at UNC gets lost a little bit, you know, cause his numbers maybe aren't the most gaudy, but, uh, you know, I, I know Mike thinks he's a he's a fantastic hitter and he does a lot to make that offense go. And they're, they're just guys like that all over all of these teams. And, um, you know, so I think it's just going to be awesome to see who emerges as a player, who emerges as a team. And and just, you know, like Mike, like you said, just two fun weeks of, of college baseball in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, let's do it. I'm ready. You ready? I'm ready. So we still have to wait a couple days, though, but hopefully this uh, podcast uh, helps you get through those couple days until Saturday when all the fun starts. Again, that's Oregon State, North Carolina. will kick this all off. Uh, and, and we'll be uh, providing all of the coverage over at BaseballAmerica.com. You can follow us on Twitter. Mike is at MLanana. Uh, when he wears the banana suit, I'm sure there will be uh, a few posts about that. Just a few, though. I am at Ted Cahill. I may be making some of the posts about Mike wearing a banana suit. Who knows? Um, <laughs> So you can follow on there, follow on on the website, uh, you know, and we'll we'll have plenty of uh, fun coverage from again what, what should be a couple great weeks uh, in Omaha. So for Mike, I'm Teddy. Thank you for listening. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit baseballamerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.